0: morning, you guys. We start a new sermon series today, God Help Us Unite, and that uh, title, if you're wondering, does it have anything to do with Thanksgiving and Christmas dinners that are soon coming? You are correct. There is an aspect of this sermon series that is tied to that, and some of you are smiling and some of you are not smiling, and you understand hey here's the thing like the greatest christmas movie i know we're not quite to thanksgiving yet but we're certainly in the christmas the greatest christmas movie ever is christmas vacation christmas vacation (laughs) and the reason why is because there's a little bit of my family in that movie for sure everyone's got a cousin eddie and if you don't know who that is maybe your cousin eddie okay um, but this idea of God help us unite, uh, there's an aspect of it in regards to our, our family. But today we're going to be starting the conversation in regards to what does it look like for the church to unite in the midst of a culture that doesn't want the church to unite, doesn't experience or want uh, peace and unity. Oftentimes it feels like it feels like there's a lot of other things that are motivators in regards to that. Um, and so the, the piece for us that we're going to be looking through is, What does Jesus want for his church? And what does Jesus want for his church in regards to conversations uh, that bring a lot of division? Uh, The LGBTQ community brings division in the midst of the church oftentimes. Uh, Women's roles in the church often bring division. The topic of abortion often brings division in the church. Um, All these things at times for me, I don't know if you can ex- if you relate to this but for me when I start looking at all the different things that often bring division of the church there's a sense of emotional overwhelming peace that kind of sometimes takes in as a pastor. But then when I spend time looking at the first century church I begin to realize that what we're navigating right now is really no different than the first century the topics may be different but the reality of god's desire jesus desire for unity take place and his people fighting for unity it's been taking place since the very beginning a desire for Jesus' church to be one the topics may be different but the battle's still the same are you with me this morning on that and so we got to ask ourselves this question how are we called to battle how are we called to fight for unity? How are we called to fight for a relationship? And what does that actually look like? And so we're going to spend the next three weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. I'd love for you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be spending the next three weeks there as Paul begins this conversation about the church and his desire for it to be one. But how do we actually do that? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received what is the calling the calling is the calling that jesus gave his people which he said to go and make disciples of all nations that we as the church are called to live into that calling and that we're actually called to do it in real relationship god's desire in the midst of of all the different things that are happening, is that that would be the sole focus. And what God wants, what Jesus wants, is that the whole world would come under his authority, that the whole world would come and realize that he is king, that he is Lord, and he's actually made a way for that to actually take place. Paul kind of talks about this earlier in Ephesians chapter 3. Just to give you some context as he's moving into Ephesians chapter 4. What does Paul wrap up chapter 3 with? He says this, For this reason... I kneel before the Father. Why? Because He's Lord. He's Lord and He's King, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established, what does He say? Rooted and established in Love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is what Jesus wants for his church, to be a church that understands and is able to grasp how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And so if we're going to understand the calling that Jesus has given us, we have to be willing to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 4, and pull some truths as to what that actually looks like. That he wants us to make disciples. He wants us to do it in a real relationship. He wants to do it in love. Which is difficult to do sometimes. Because sometimes you're not loved well from other believers. Yet you're still called to love. Love so if we're going to move into unity there's some things that we have to look at some basic truths of ephesians chapter 4 1 through 4 the calling is rooted in ephesians chapter 3 the first one is this that god's loving kindness towards us is the foundation from which we live god's loving kindness is the foundation from which we live it's the foundation for everything that we do and paul's saying this in ephesians chapter 3 and 4 he's just wrapped up a conversation in regards to the reality that we're all one in God's family, that we all are one. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, we are one. And Paul's been explaining in Ephesians one, two, and three about the reality that Jesus has removed um, obstacles of us being one. He's removed that barrier. So it doesn't matter who comes through these doors in Jesus's church or or where we gather, we are all one in Christ. And it's his love towards us and what he's given us, grace, forgiveness. That is the foundation from which we live all of life from. His loving kindness towards us. Number two, that Jesus calls our hearts to be rooted and established in the love of the Father that allows the fullness of God to be manifested through us, through you. God's love, as we're rooted and established in Him, that we then have the ability to then love other people and allow that love, the love of God that comes to us, We now can manifest that towards other people. Treat other people with loving kindness as God has treated you with loving kindness. And this this conversation that Paul's having in Ephesians, it's not a new conversation. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And it's by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another so the way that the world is going to know that you're my followers that you're my disciples is if you love one another he didn't say that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have a great building if you have great worship if you have a great preacher if you always have the right correct answer to a theological question. Which well, is nothing wrong with having the right answer to a theological question. The question is, how do you have that answer? How do you interact with that answer? Paul said earlier that love surpasses knowledge. The world will know that you are mine by how you love one another. And Paul's continuing these conversations in chapter three, chapter four, that we're rooted and established in love with him. And as we're rooted and established in that love that he's given us, that he's forgiven us, in spite of all the sin that we've done, he's forgiven us. We now look at other people differently. We now understand that we're all sinners saved by God's grace, and therefore we then can love others as Christ has loved us. This is the heart of the conversation as we start this unity conversation, I love what Francis Chan has to say. He says this we need to stop thinking that our primary duty toward our fellow believers is to critique them. It's not. Our primary duty is to love them. Paul says we owe a debt of love to each other, Romans 13:8. Yet it seems we invest far more time in learning than loving. Honestly, evaluate the amount of time you spend acquiring information compared to the amount you spend asking God to increase your love for his children. You might say, well, don't we have to speak truth, Justin? Yes, we do need to speak truth. Yes, we do need to make sure that people are living a holy life. How much time do you spend when it comes to loving well? So you have the ability to actually speak truth? Or do you inverse it? I spend so much time speaking truth, but I don't I haven't learned how to actually love well. Those things go together, but what time do you how much time do you spend on those two things that oftentimes feel like maybe they're incompetent with one another? What friend Shannon is saying is. We need to be spending more time loving and asking, how can I love in this situation? Have I loved in the past? Am I choosing to love well in this moment? The third piece of this basic truth of Ephesians 4 is not only that God's loving kindness towards us is the firm foundation from which we live, that Jesus calls our hearts to be rooted and established in the love of the Father, but number three, we are called to guard the unity of the church. We are called to guard the unity of the church. I just want to read the rest of Ephesians 4 to you this morning. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Again, this message of Paul, that we're called to be a people who are firmly rooted in love, because we've received love, therefore we're going to love one another. Then he then says, out of that love, we're to fight for unity. We're called to fight as one. It's not a new message. Jesus, in John chapter 17... This is his last prayer on earth. He has just gone done praying for his 12 disciples. And now he turns his attention to another group of people. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who is Jesus praying for? Us, he's praying for you. That all that would believe through the disciples' message, 2,000 years later, this prayer continues on over you, over us as Jesus' church. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one, one, As we are one, I and them, you and me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus continues this idea, this prayer, or starts this conversation, I should say. It doesn't continue. He starts the conversation of, as we are one with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we are called to be one. And then as we are one with Him and one with one another, it is in that moment how the world is going to be reached. Through unity. Through unity. And that you are called to be one who actually guards the unity of the church. You are called to guard the unity of the church. And for some of you, you go, I don't know if I want to do that. And I can understand why you don't want to do that. Because... It means you're probably going to need to potentially do something that's uncomfortable. There's a phrase that we talk about in our home a little bit. When stuff gets talked about at the dinner table, I can hear my son or my daughter say, Drama. You know what I'm talking about? Drama. I don't want no drama. And I'm right there with you. However, Jesus didn't call you to stick your head in the sand. Jesus called you to actually guard the unity of the church. God actually called you to potentially enter into conversation with someone who's not guarding the unity of the church. Jesus is actually inviting you to take ownership of guarding the unity of the church. Even if that means that you move into a place of discomfort relationally with people. Because what he's called you to do. It's what he's called us to do. Craig Groeschel says some of the most powerful moments in life can happen outside of our comfort zone. And so the fear, the worry, like I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Like Jesus is inviting you to press into that in regards to the unity of the church in fact not only would Jesus call you to, to lean into it if you're not willing to lean into it if you have just this I guess a passive dismissal of unity of the call of unity for the church that dismissive attitude it can actually pretty, be pretty dangerous Proverbs talks about how there's six things Proverbs chapter 6 six things that God hates and the last one He hates it when people are divisive. And so you see someone being divisive? Ah, drama. Just going to walk away. Maybe Jesus is inviting you to lean in. Maybe he's inviting you to have a conversation. Not only that, but when the church doesn't live out unity, it really confuses the world that we're trying to reach. Have you noticed that? It really confuses the world. Like, I thought you guys, like, we're supposed to love one another. Like, I'm trying to, kind of intrigued by Jesus, kind of intrigued by his church, and yet the world wants to be drawn into Jesus, wants to be drawn into church, and it's like, man, this is no different than the world. Can I just be really transparent with you? You guys know that I, I grew up later on in life with my family living through a lot of brokenness, experiencing a lot of divorce. Every single time, the people that I love and care about, whether I see them as, as my spiritual fathers that have influenced me in a, an amazing way, or whether it's people that I just love, every single time Christians can't get along, you know what it rips me back into? All that brokenness I experienced when I was younger. And it's like, Lord... Can't we be one? Can't we be one? Can't can't the people that I love and care about the most, can't we be one? Jesus called you to fight and guard the unity of the church. Here's the scary thing. It could be evidence in the midst of divisiveness that the Holy Spirit isn't even in you. That's how big of a deal it is. That Jesus wants us to guard the unity of the church. And so we've got to ask ourselves: am I willing to take ownership of that? Am I willing to lean into that? And I want you to I want to remind you that every single time the enemy attacks Jesus' church, because there's lots of ways the enemy is constantly attacking Jesus' church. Every single time he does it from the outside, Jesus' church continues to thrive. Have you noticed that? Even if it means killing them, in fact, when it gets to that moment of martyr for the faith, it's like fertilizer to the growth of the kingdom. Have you recognized that in history? So the enemy just always is doing the same thing He can try and attack from the outside but the way the enemy wins, not from the outside in, the way the enemy wins is from the inside out. Look to your neighbor to your left, look to your neighbor to the right, go ahead, look, even if they're strangers. Some of you are just stubborn, won't do it, (laughs) the way the enemy wins. is in between us, it's in between us, he's inviting you to guard the unity, to guard it against lies, gossip, slander, I just want to use this analogy, the enemy is always wanting to start fires, and and that's just the reality of every single church. If, if you have the mindset of, like, there's going to be no fires in church, I, you found the perfect church, and that doesn't exist. And in fact, you'll probably be the one that ruins that perfect church, just to let you know. The enemy, so the, the idea of, like, well, we should never have any fires in the church, that, that's just not true. Go look at all of the gospel, or all of the letters that Paul writes. There's only one letter that Paul writes that's completely positive and has zero correction or problem that he's dealing with. It's the church in Philippi. Reason why I love that letter. I read it a lot. This is just full of positive letter. Everything else, Paul's like, "Hey, we got we got some fires. We got to work through." So if you have the mindset of like, "I got to find a church that's having fires," wrong mindset. There's going to be fires. The mindset you should have is, "How can I help contribute to those fires from becoming really big fires?" Now he said, "Well, isn't that the elders, the pastors?" the leaders all those isn't their job yes we have a part to play in that significantly but you have a part to play in it as well let me give you this analogy how many of you guys got kids have you guys raised kids almost everybody unless you're single and haven't had kids should have your hand up do you guys remember teaching them how to cook you know i saying? well my kids aren't old enough it's coming when you taught them how to cook did you go hey uh you want macaroni and cheese just go in there and cook it (laughs) you didn't do that did you you walked in and you said hey if you're not careful you're gonna start a fire and you walked beside them i'm hoping modeling 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 working together then you took a step back and just watched them do it and then you said alright don't light light the house on fire right and did they sometimes make mistakes 100% I came home one day working all day kids home this summer guess what was on stove on low but it was on Now, would your kids and would my kids look at seeing that it's on low and would we say, ah, just wait till mom and dad gets home? No. None of us would do that, right? All the teenagers are laughing because you're like, man, I totally left it on one time and I turned it off before mom and dad got home and I didn't say anything to mom and dad. I just like, (laughs) right? Didn't want to get caught with the fire stove on. Right? None of us would do that. Have you seen those videos where something's on fire and they make it worse in the house? People don't go, ah, let's just wait, wait for mom and dad to get home. None of us would do that. None of us would expect our kids to do that. Are we all God's family? Do we all need each other? You see a fire? Well, it's just a little fire. That's just a little fire. It'll be okay. Drapes are just barely on fire. It's okay guard the unity of the church you're worried about a conversation you're worried about certain things lean in lean in this is your call to lean in as Jesus church to have conversations even though they may be difficult how do i do that the fruit of a unifying spirit is found in Ephesians 4. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and, what's the next word? Gentle. What is humility? It's the having a humble opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's moral littleness, I love that. Well, I've I've overcome addiction. I've I haven't really wrestled with that sin anymore. What name your list? Whatever your list is. At the end of the day, you are a sinner saved by grace. I am rooted in the love that Jesus has given me and I am called to love one another. And so I can't look at anybody else, my brother or my sister, and have the ability to look at them with pride. Because I'm broken just like they are. Are you with me this morning? Humility. All we we do in life is is in humility. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for me. Humility. Humility. Well, they sin different than I do. Humility. Modesty. Humility. Lowliness of mind. You already know this. What's the opposite of humility? Pride. It's the very root where the enemy Satan was cast from heaven. Pride. That I deserve that I'm better than, that God's holding out on me. It's the same lie in Genesis chapter two. Pride. Paul says we're called to be a people that are humble. John Piper says it this way. Humility serves. Humility gets down low and lifts others up. Humility looks to the needs of others and gives time and effort to help those in need. Jesus took the form of a servant humbled himself, even to the point of death. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility measures everything it does by whether it serves the good of other people. Am I feeding my ego? Or am I feeding the faith of others? And guess what? Sometimes in church we can get really good at serving others but our heart is actually really driven by our ego which one is it what is the fruit that Jesus wants to see in our lives it's at the end of the day it's humility serves so humility the other one is gentleness what is gentleness gentleness mildness meekness strength under control what is the opposite of gentleness it's being harsh It's being harsh. Paul calls these things opposite to humility and gentleness. He actually calls them later on in the New Testament the works of the flesh. Humility leads to empathy. And empathy actually leads to gentleness. Why? Because in my humility, I understand who I really am and I have no ability to judge anybody else. And instead... I can actually empathize, empathize, which then allows me to then be gentle. Humility, gentleness. We are in the midst of not only navigating all the other topics I talked about, but what do we also got coming a year from now? Election. So as we move into the election, vote. Vote! With humility. With gentleness. And highlight 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Because you know they produce quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but must be kind to everyone able to teach not resentful opponents must be what's that word gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance leading them to a knowledge of the truth and they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will i think this is a really important passage for us to just sit in over the next year if it's a dumb conversation gently don't have it because you have bigger things to focus on in the kingdom of heaven are you with me church you have bigger things we wrap up, Alistair Begg says this. Because you see, gentleness is not mainly developed in tranquility. Oh, the church, the church isn't supposed to have any fires. The church isn't supposed to have any tough relationships. church isn't supposed to have any tough conversations. No, 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 no. If you, if you haven't learned the muscle of gentleness, maybe, maybe Jesus is inviting you to move into the discomfort, to learn how to deal with and love people so that you would actually learn how to be gentle what 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 if i try and i'm not very gentle at least you tried i I long for us as a church where we have the mindset that nothing nothing can stop us from being jesus church even conversations we mess up Does does that make sense Well, what if I mess it up? You're going to mess it up. I want you to mess it up. It's how we learn. I wasn't very gentle. Well, go have the conversation again. Well, man, that was tough the first time. Yeah, let's go do it again. Gentleness is not found by not trying. Gentleness is not found by everything being peaceful. Gentleness is learned and found in the midst of fires. So the very things that I don't want to have in my life are the very things that in my life will make me the full or person that God wants me to be. I don't want to be sick I don't want to be disappointed I don't want my heart to be broken I don't want any of these things but God is sovereign in his dealings he knows what he's doing and he is expressly committed to conforming his children, you to the image of his only beloved son to make us in sure order like Jesus in gentleness as in everything else how do we learn this? how do we learn humility How do we even learn gentleness? It's moving out of the comfort zone, pressing into one another relationally, and creating a culture where it's okay for us to learn to make mistakes, but here's what we have to do at the end of the day. We have to be committed to the unity of Jesus' church, to fight for one another, to fight for relationship. Over and over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but when I see that, when I when I see that picture, that image, that vision of what Jesus has for his church, there's nothing like that in the world, you guys. I don't know about you. Does the church need to display unity in our world today? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. If we're gonna do that, it's gonna to have to come down to Jesus being Lord over it all. What if we were willing to go to places that we never ever thought we had the capacity to go? Well that conversation, I've never had a conversation like that before. Yeah? What if Jesus led you into that conversation with gentleness and humility and you believed that even if you blew it you could try again and that Jesus' church would be patient and humble with you again. That's what Jesus is calling us to be. Those types of people. And so as we get a to this time of communion and as we reflect on today whether you have been following Jesus for a long time or you've never made a commitment to following Jesus this all falls on Jesus's lordship over your life and be reminded of the gospel that God saved you from your sin from your sins every single day and it's our allegiance to him that makes life work it's our allegiance to him that allows us to get wholeness. It's our allegiance to him that allows us to walk in the difficult aspects of relationship in the church and outside the church. Where we're a people that fight for one another, we fight for relationship. Even in difficult conversation. So I want to invite you to spend time with Jesus this morning. And If you came in and you didn't receive the elements and you would like to take communion this morning, just raise your hand, and these amazing servants would love to see uh, uh, serve you. A piece of bread and a cup of juice. If you just want to patiently leave your hand up, I know that Diane would love to get to everybody. Well, let's spend some time with the Lord this morning. And let's see what he has for us as we talk to him, but also as he speaks to us. Let's pray. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he broke bread with his disciples. And he said, This bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Eat and remember it to me. And he raised a cup of wine and he blessed it. He said, This represents my blood, which is spilled for you. Drink and remember it to me. Let's pray. Jesus, we we look to you and we humble ourselves in this place and in this moment in thankfulness to you that you are a God that loves us created us, sees us, knows us intimately God and that you are a God that not only knows us intimately you desire to have a relationship with us and that you removed everything including sin by dying for us so that you could have a relationship with us Lord your pursuit of us God may we model and see your pursuit of us as a way that we're called to pursue others.